0: On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the Deal Quest podcast. Let's get started. DealQuest listeners, I'm so excited to have David Bradley and Matthew Holman on this episode of DealQuest. They are the co-founders and co-owners of Qpilot, which is a company that helps customers and others scale their businesses through subscription programs. And that's a topic I'm particularly interested in. Although that particular thing is not a deal, you'll find out why they're on the podcast because, I mean, first of all, listen, let's face it, folks, recurring revenue subscription models... Uh, put a company in a better position to sell at higher multiples. So it's an interesting topic anyway. And they've generously come on the show to really talk about actually their business partnerships and partnership and business partnerships in general. And that's a topic that we've covered in the past, but not, I think, in the depth and and sort of in the real-time story of two business partners now who came into the company in different ways, at different times. So uh, guys, uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, happy to have you on.
1: Thanks a lot, Corey nice to be here.
0: Excellent. All right. So listen, before we get into all that, I want to take you back to when you were a little kids growing up, maybe eight, 10, 12 years old. What did you want to be? Because my guess is co-founders or a founder of a subscription-based business probably wasn't it back then, but will you tell me whoever wants to go first.
2: I was say, I don't remember what I wanted to be when I was eight or 10 years old, but it certainly wasn't going to be a a tech startup founder or, or working in marketing. I could tell you that. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> it very rarely is whatever people are doing now. I've had, I think out of 200 something episodes, I might've had a couple of people who, you know, knew what they wanted to do back then.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think if, if I'm thinking about young David, he probably was just hoping to be on the, on the slope skiing all the time. I haven't uh, worried about much, but. You know, my father, he had a computer business when I was about 10 years old. So I think that's probably where I got my taste for entrepreneurship. Really liked going to his work and seeing his team all the time and and them working together on their own business. I love it. Did you grow up in ski country? I grew up in Alaska. Yeah. Oh, in
0: Alaska. Okay. All right. Love that. All right. And one other question, looking back, what was the first deal of any type that you, you know, you did? It could have been something small when you were younger or early in your career, whatever comes to mind.
1: Yeah, I've been involved in a few startups. So I guess deal-wise is just being a, a co-founder in other startups in the software space and the consumer good space. So that's mostly what I like to be a part of. I like to be a part of businesses, either as a partner or as an investor. Great. Right.
2: Yeah, I was going to say as a kid, I was a kid, I was a bit of a thespian and doing drama and all these fun things. So for me, my first deal was really as an adult just starting to take on some risk in exchange for for either dollars or for equity. So, yeah. Yeah, love it. Okay.
0: All right, guys. So, give us a little bit more on what the company does. I mean, you know, we said that you help folks scale subscription programs. How do you do that? What do you do? Who do you serve? Give us give us a
1: better idea. So, at QPilot, right, we're a platform that basically helps People that sell goods online, physical goods that get shipped and delivered, we let those goods get queued up for repeat and scheduled delivery, hence our name, QPilot. And the way that we do it, we like to say that it's just the most flexible way. But the reason why we were flexible is because before QPilot, there wasn't really a way to think about how something that actually gets shipped is changed before the order is created. So if you think about that, compare that to your Netflix subscription. Right. You change it, you kind of upgrade, downgrade your plan. There's not really that much that affects anybody other than you get charged a different amount. Yeah. Whereas at QPilot, we talk about goods that are getting shipped, right, to consumers like you and me or to other businesses doing purchasing with each other. And as we know through our own checkout experiences, a lot of things change when you change what goes in an order or where that goes. Yeah. So if you think about QPilot as a platform that's very flexible to serve that kind of channel. We're talking about orders and products queued up for the future, portals that are really easy to use as a customer or subscriber to just make the change you want, and experiences that just make sense, right? I changed the location where it's going, so it costs us to ship it there. I need it faster. I can wait longer. I can change the items in it. That's going to be a different cost. You need visibility over that. We're all about making sure as marketers, right, that our customers feel that they can trust us, get the visibility that they need. And certainly that means more in a subscription channel where it's a repeat customer that we're servicing. So so does
0: your product and service integrate with the existing retailers' sites and it provides that functionality?
2: Yeah, that's yeah. correct. That, yeah, The easiest way to think about it is, is if you're running a store on Shopify or WooCommerce or Salesforce and you're managing a website where you almost think of like an add-on to make that subscribe and save experience happen, but it's backed by a platform with tons of logic and power behind it. Got it, got it. Well, great
0: stuff. I mean, listen, obviously that's super useful. And like I said, in the intro, we have clients all over the map. You know, tech is definitely our second biggest sector. Financial services are first. And I was speaking to a a client of mine who's very different. I mean, a lot of people think of recurring revenue like that in the tech sector, which obviously it's probably the most opportunity. But I I represent a lot of wealth managers, financial advisors. And, you know, I look at that model because it's actually more comparative to what I do, right? We're both, you know, it's like professional services, high touch, customized, all the things that are less able to scale than an online or in practice. And one of the things the investment advisors have is that they have recurring revenue paid up front quarterly and pulled out of the client's account automatically. <laughs> and I'm like, I always joke with my clients, I'm really, really jealous. Listen, I do fine, I'm happy, don't worry about it, I'm going to be okay. But <laughs> as a business model, just, you know, that idea is phenomenal. So certainly when I look at the ability to, you know, scale subscription models online, and of course everything's moved has
1: moved and would love to move to subscription these days, right? Right. Yeah, I think it's a great way to think about it and uh, looking behind that revenue line item, I think we are, always like to remind our own team of that, our, the best customers that they have are the subscribers.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. And listen, like I said, when you look at valuations on deals, you know, people talk about rules of thumb in various industries, it's this multiple that multiple. But it's never that simple. And there's there's always a parsing in if you're getting a real valuation of a company or practically what a buyer, you know, would be willing to pay, you've got a number of factors and certainly subscription revenue is valued much more highly than any kind of episodic project or hourly or any other kind of revenue. So for those of you who are building companies and looking to increase enterprise value, I mean, I think there's a real direct tie-in with what
1: these guys do and your ability to maximize your your, your exit value. Yeah, I think Absolutely. You, you hit it on the head is there's a lot of businesses thinking about if they weren't, if they didn't have a subscription model as part of their business, they're thinking about how to achieve that. Yeah you know, we mentioned that we work in the physical goods space. So if you're already selling these goods online, say you're selling medicine or pet food, which is a really popular uh, category of goods sold on Q. Yep. And say you didn't have a subscription model. That is something that we help with directly, which is say, Hey, we're going to create a channel, right? You're not going to have to necessarily redesign your entire business model to become a subscription business, but you can create a sales channel that is a subscription channel. Yes, certainly that's going to help if you're talking in the context of presenting to investors, presenting that channel and saying, "Look at how we perform as a subscription business." That's really interesting. It's going to help your valuation significantly.
0: I love that. So, I mean, my dog food is on subscription. My, you know, my <laughs> my dog treats are on subscription. My, you know, my dog medicine is on subscription, and that's just my dog, right? You know, so it's, uh, yeah, it's great. All right, so I, I want to swing over to the main sort of deal topic of this podcast, which is which is really business partnerships, generally and certainly your journey with business partnerships. And you have an interesting story, right? I mean, David, from what I know from the quick pre-call conversations, you founded the company not with Matt right? Originally. And you have gone through a couple of relationships there and, and, and then fortunately are now working with Matt and, it's, and I understand it's going great. But talk to us a little bit about that journey. And then, and then Matt, I definitely want to go to your journey and, sure. and how you came here, but yeah, talk,
1: talk to us about that journey. Yeah, happy to. I think this is something that needs to be talked about a lot in startup journeys because this happens pretty regularly. You know, We hear this from people we know that are entrepreneurs. They start a business, so the people that they start the business with. And this is if it goes well, three, four years later are not the same people they are still running that business with. It's really common. So in my experience, just to keep it a really short and succinct story, when I started it, it was with a partner of mine that I had a consulting practice with before. We were doing a lot of different software and design solutions for e-commerce companies. And we were really excited to create a product. But it's a tall order if you haven't. actually ran and operated a product company yep. to go from a consulting model to a product company, a SaaS company. It's yep. a lot to learn. And you know, credit to him, he went into it like I did, excited, ready to learn, try some things. But I think this was pretty natural. He got a taste of it and the risks were different. He, the day-to-day was much different. And I think he decided for his part, hey, this isn't what I thought I was, this isn't what I was hoping for. And this is really hard, harder than I, in different ways than I'd imagined, kind of a way to sum up the way that he was feeling about it. And that came to a head as we were struggling to get our product launched into the marketplace. Mm. You know, as you can imagine, there's disagreements that are occurring all the time. Some of them are resolvable, some of them kind of head like this. And I remember that one of the things I'm really proud of is even though the emotions were high when we were talking about our differences and directions to take the company we were able to pretty quickly establish who was gonna feel more passionate about, about taking on further challenges mm. and come up with a fair assessment of well, what's it worth to part ways completely? Because my former co-founder is just like, I just I just want out. Right. And we were able to talk about what he wanted, what I wanted, be adults, so to speak, in the breakup, in a good sense. Yeah. And Really put our intentions down. That's something I like to share with other founders, our ability to write down our intentions and then bring those to a legal team and say, these are our intentions, not go to the lawyers first and then figure out our intentions. Yeah. That was the difference between a successful professional breakup versus a big drawn out legal fight where we were trying to figure out what we wanted through lawyers. They're not going to help you figure out what you want. They'll help you execute and get your agreement done. Very good at that. So I'm very proud of the fact that we were able to leverage legal in a very precise way and yet actually talk to each other about what mattered to us in that process.
0: Now, one follow-up on that because, you know, that that adults in the room conversation, right, you know, to shorthand uh, the ability to get, a, get an amicable deal. A lot of people can't do that, right? And, you know, and I, I often on this podcast talk about the mindset of a deal maker in various aspects of it. There's a mindset of an entrepreneur and then I think there's a mindset shift to be a deal maker. Every entrepreneur is not a deal maker, right? They, some entrepreneurs build great businesses solely on organic growth, and that's what they're great at, right? So for me, there's always a mindset shift, a mindset element that is crucial to all these things. And certainly with this adults in the room conversation, I mean, so many other situations. And listen, we get involved in these, and you know, do help folks through it. and and, and I think your assessment of lawyers is definitely generally right. I mean, we tend to. Play a much more strategic and consultative approach. So, in fact, sometimes I, I sort of mediate these things and help the, the parties get through it. But, but yeah, but most lawyers, absolutely right. So, what had you both be able to like, what is that, what is that mindset shift? What is that different approach to be able to be that adult in the room? And why do you think a lot of folks, you know, can't, you know, don't do that?
1: I think there's two things that looking back on the experience and having talked to other founders about it, that really struck a chord with me in terms of, well, what what was different about this and going well versus in other situations where it doesn't? Outside of the interpersonal nuances, basically, what is that? Yep. And I think on one side, it is you it, like a lot of entrepreneurs, we're very excited about what's happening, but we don't always allow ourselves to plan strategically for success. Yep. what Play this out. This goes well. How does this go? And that's where things like ownership percentages, equity need to be thought about early in the process. So a lot of people don't want to do that because again, they're excited. They just want to like get yep. to it. Yep. Right. And it's like if you skip to that part, but you don't actually plan, if you're only into the emotions of excitement. You don't get extra strategic about this and play it through. Yep. You might miss the most important thing, which is a great agreement to start with, a good legal foundation to start from. Yep. If you don't have that, you could get really lost in the bickering and things like that. And you don't have much of a foundation to stand on. And say things go well this gets a lot harder to work out then
0: right things don't go well well, there's nothing really to fight over right it's like
1: exactly (laughs) so thankfully i'd been in some startups before early stage you know ground zero you know top first five people in the startup so i understood both sides of that going into it so it doesn't, doesn't matter that if you have a partner coming in who hasn't had that experience i think that's part two is recognize people's experience level. You're excited to work with them, but maybe they have this is this is their first rodeo. Make sure you help level up their experience as well so that they are on your level, at least to start off with, with that foundation. Say, hey, this is why we're getting our ducks in a row. It's important. We're, you know, maybe a 50-50 split, for example, isn't the right idea yeah. given what the outcome is, if this goes well. And certainly at day zero, that's a lot easier to talk about in different possibilities than after some of those possibilities have been achieved and there's a lot more on the table to fight over. Yeah, no question about it.
0: Matt, I want to come to you and I want to talk about your journey to becoming a partner here, but let's 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 go back to earlier in your journey because you have a an interesting part of your journey, life journey that you are willing to talk about and and you know, I'd love you to I'd love you to sort
2: of start there so people have a context for, you know, your your
0: journey and how you got here.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think it kind of makes sense to maybe explain it through the lens of when I was first meeting David. I was 40 years old and it was my first real foray into entrepreneurship other than some consulting I had done to that point. And David kind of asked me like, Hey, I don't quite get why now at 40 you're turning to entrepreneurship. And I was able to reply and tell him, well, that's because I'm actually, I was incarcerated for, for much of my adult life. And so I went into prison at 22 and got out at 37. Um, it's a long time I spent a lot of time thinking about you know reading The Wall Street Journal reading Forbes thinking about deals and SAS and stuff and so I make that joke earlier I grew up as an actor I grew up wanting to be a comparative literature professor when I was a kid or play baseball that kind of thing and then as a as a you know as I started to becoming a young adult and I was walked up I Started to dream and think about, you know, leaving my imprint on the world would be through business. That's the Mm -hmm. best way to change my own life, the best way to change the lives of others. So for me, you know, I've been out about five years, a little over five years at this point. And my first couple of years, I was working a job at a print and sign shop because those are the skills I picked up in prison while I was going to school full time and did some internships and started doing interviews and looking for that kind of hot shot tech job but my record kept me from being kind of seriously considered at some bigger companies and so I started working with a smaller company I just had a great opportunity working with them but it wasn't quite enough because the the ceiling was I was never going to be a partner they were right. already a really well established business doing millions in revenue you know one day you know probably not too far in the future they'll sell for like a billion dollars they were they're crushing it they were never going to bring me on to the cap table right I could be an executive. I could lead departments. All those things, but I was I was never going to get more than you know some some shadow equity, right, from from a sale. Yeah. And for me, ultimately, I I wanted more. I wanted more control over my own life, my own business, my own opportunities. And one day on LinkedIn, a friend of mine that had met David said, "Hey, does, is anybody interested in joining a a young tech startup as the marketing lead, marketing co founder and I put up my, I put up my hand, and next thing you know, David and I were talking, and it was just we liked to joke about it. it was like it was like we're dating, like we get matched <laughs> through a third person. Right. We do all these phone calls and screen shares, and we're testing alignment and aptitude and all these things, and then we met in person, and it just it was an amazing opportunity. I can't say enough about how David has, like he mentioned, leveling up the you know the experience of somebody. Like I've never done this type of a deal before, so he spent a lot of time spent a lot of time educating me. And, you know, I've talked to lawyers and other people too, like I was doing my own research, but as a partner of, of wanting to include me in something beautiful that he's built, not just to be the marketer and to try to help blow the business up in a positive way, but to also be his partner. So yeah, that's, I mean, it kind of in a nutshell. (laughs) Love
0: it. So I want to go to the mindset question for you, because obviously, listen, I don't know what, what led you to, you know, being, you can share as much a little as you want. Sure. Uh, You know, Whatever had you grow up in the way you grew up, whatever had you do what you do, ending up in prison and then coming out of that experience, you know, doing the work you did obviously during your time and being incarcerated right. and, 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 and even coming to the point where, hey, I want to be in business and I want to be, you know, an entrepreneur and I want to be a co founder. That's not the result that everybody who goes through prison ends right. up with, right? So talk to me, share a l- little bit more as much as you're willing to do on sort of, you know, what was your mindset that got you, you know, in prison, and how did that shift happen for you to, you know, go from prison to co-founder and entrepreneur?
2: Yeah, without without getting into all the all the necessarily details about that, I will I will say some of the biggest mistakes in my life have been from not asking for help, for mm-hmm. being in in hard places or dark places, feeling lost, alone, and not putting the hand up. So for anybody who's experiencing any of that regardless of of what it is because there's always a variety of problems we're all facing I will say that is that is one mistake that I look back on and think if I'd asked for help my life would have been a lot different that that being said I I am the kind of person who you know and now I I'm not saying like I'm I'm proud of the fact that I've been incarcerated or anything, but I am proud of the person I am today because yeah. of what I've been through, and and a lot of those things have been hard and really difficult things. And, and you know, 15 years is a long time, and yeah. the, the, what makes it worse is I went in not knowing how long I was going to do. So I thought it might just be a couple years, a couple years, and it just kind of kept dragging on. Not from anything I was doing, but just because of the nature of the criminal justice system, it's not all like you think it is on TV. Okay. So, but, so for me, that mindset sh- sh- slowly shifted over time where I went from thinking, you know, you know, I could still get out, still have most of my life ahead of me. And then, you know, I'm 35 thinking like, you know, when you're 20, 35, you feel like your life is over. Like, oh, that's so old. Right. And <laughs> get out at 37 and realize that I still actually have a whole life ahead of me. Oh yeah. So the, the mindset is, you know, it's, it's, I don't carry a huge chip on my shoulder in the sense of like, I'm trying to prove all my doubters wrong, but I, but there is something inside of me that I do want to show people that I'm not that person who I was before. Mm -hmm. I am somebody different in many ways and, you know, integrity and accountability. And those are really important things to me. I've lived the wrong side of those things. And so I can speak very strongly what it's like to have made Mm -hmm. those mistakes and want to do more. But right now it's really like, you know, if, if anything, I sometimes have to dampen my drive a little bit because I'll just burn out, right? I just want to do so much and take on so many things that for me, a lot of times it is making sure I'm focusing and and finding that opportunity. Cause I, like I said, I want to build, I want to create something that'll last. I want to help other people, empower other people. Yeah. So that's a lot of what motivates me. I love that. So, so David,
0: you know, from your point of view, right. I mean, what, you know, one of the challenges that folks, you know, and I, I know, I know folks who do Work with you know ex-cons or in prisons with people who've been incarcerated, and you know some good programs out there to try you know to work on reentry or work on retraining or work on you know that kind of stuff. Um, and one of the challenges is frankly that uh, you know there's a lot a lot of employers out there you know, and I know this wasn't an employment situation, but even employers out there, right? It's a bigger decision to bring somebody in <laughs> as a partner, all right. And even people you know employers out there are sometimes put off by people who have you know, have the experience that that that, that Matt, has, Matt has had and, you know, have, you know, and are convicted and have been in prison, you decided to make him a partner. What, like, what was it that had you, you know, just in general, be open to that conversation, right? The, and that opportunity and, you know, and, 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 and specifically with Matt, you know, I mean, that would stop, I'm sure a number of folks.
1: Yeah, certainly even just talking about it with, in any context, it's not easy. We're talking about something that makes a lot of people really uncomfortable. And there's it absolutely understandably why. But I think there's a couple of things that made me ready to hear what Matt had to say. You know, one is just Matt, you know, just meeting him initially, very warm, charming guy. Mm-hmm. All right. I tell tell Matt that all the time. He's an amazing connector. So it's very easy to meet Matt so a lot of people i think are willing to get to know matt if they've just encountered him so that initially it's there's already some some desire to connect with matt but beyond that i think what put me in a place that was ready to hear more of his story and and why he is an entrepreneur right is kind of two things one is i've worked in when i lived in austin before i lived in denver where i am now i lived in austin I was working with on a volunteer basis with a micro lending service called People Fund. Worked with the SBA as well, and they identified formerly incarcerated as an underserved category of entrepreneur, and okay. they were really looking to fund formerly incarcerated people along with other underserved groups. And it, having worked with a few ex-cons on their businesses, so I was helping them launch websites and sell online and things like that, just using the tools that I have to help. Yeah, yeah. You quickly understand it; like this is one of the if if they have the the grit to do it, you know, this is one of the best ways to put, you know, put a lot of your time and energy into your own business because now you don't have the the red tape to go through like like you typically will in corporate America, who, you know, for better or worse, has a very low tolerance for yeah. this. Right. Yeah. And then I think the other thing that really made me ready to listen was as quickly as Matt was a brought it up in our communication. So if you think about it, like we're dating, right? Like a, like a relationship that way, this is something that's, you know, table stakes. You're going to want to hear about this, yeah. about somebody. And Matt knows that, all right. About you, you told me that right away. It's like, I know this is going to be important if this moves forward. So I really appreciated that. You know, I shared that about my process with my for, former co-founder. Let's say this goes well, right. I could tell Matt was thinking that way as well. Like, let's say that we do want to become Partners. This is going to be important to talk about. And he brought it up quickly. I think Matt and I were connected in the spring of 2020. He came out and visited me in Denver. Uh later that summer he actually drove because if you recall there that year it wasn't very easy to fly anywhere. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he actually drove from Salt Lake down to Denver, which was cool. And you know, we went out to breakfast. And, you know, Matt, that's when you told me. It's right. like, hey, there's something I got to tell you. And he told me in detail. And he said, and this is what you can look up online about me and, and, yep. what you're doing. and you know, he invited me in just like you would in a good relationship. Do you want to hear more about this? Do you want to keep going? And, you know, I think one that just speaks to, you know, building trust with somebody early in a relationship in general. But as that unfolded, Matt really gave me the information and tools that he knew that I needed to help make a decision around, hey, if this goes well, um, what do I need to do to get comfortable with this myself? So I think, you know, I happen to have a background a little bit that informed me Mm -hmm. around entrepreneurs who were formerly incarcerated and a lot of respect for the people that I had met. So I wasn't just categorically opposed to it. Like some, some are in HRs in corporate America, but it is Matt himself and his ability to open that up and bring me in and then give me a lot of information, which is the type of entrepreneur I am and a lot of people in business are. If you give me information around this that I can work for myself and trust me to do that, that means a lot. So I think he really set us up well to move forward and, and make it happen. Love that.
0: Let's take a break from the show for a minute so I can invite you to a new way to determine your deal readiness. I created a fast and easy assessment that will determine exactly how deal ready you are. Once you complete the assessment, I use your responses to identify the obstacles that are holding you back from being a deal-driven growth genius. It's as easy as heading to CoreyKupfer.com assessment. That's CoryCupfer.com assessment and filling out a few multiple choice questions. I'll be checking in after the episode to see what your results are. Now back to the show. So I want to talk about, you guys talked about this leveling up Right process, right? Yeah, and you both mentioned it. Talk, to, talk to us a little bit more about that, right? Because I think some folks, even on an employment level, is you know, is especially smaller companies, right? You know, you know, big companies have training programs and all this, you know, stuff, right? Smaller companies, you know, often looking for that ideal person who has like all the skills, whatever, even as an employee and and certainly as a partner, right? And uh, and then there are others, and certainly, you know, these are not the folks I spend time with or even you know represent. That might see you know the opportunity of somebody not being leveled up yet as as you know an opportunity to take advantage right as a as a negoc- ne- negotiating leverage point right. Which if anybody's read my authentic negotiating book knows that you know that's not the way to go. But 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 we realistically there are people who do that. So I want to delve a little more into that you know because that was a conscious right thing to say. Hey, I'm going to you know on your part, David, to say hey, I want you know to make sure Matt level is leveled up. Matt did his own research and work, but also mentioned his appreciation of that. I I would love, because I'd love for more folks to be thinking about this because it it raises, it opens the opportunity for more people to come into ownership, right? You know, because listen, I mean, there's always a first time for everybody, right? So, you know, we all have to be leveled up at some point, right. right? you know, unless we're just two new people who are, you know, trying our own. So talk to us about what that leveling, you know, from each your points of view, like, what does that mean? How does that yeah. leveling up process go?
2: Well, I'll share with our first so kind of the way we did it was I was wrapping up a you know commitment at my previous job. So I came in a little bit part-time for a couple months. And then January of 2021 was like our first full month. Yeah, And, and David, I instituted a policy of like every month, one of us traveled to the other person so we could have some in-time, some in-person face-to-face. Yeah. And our first in-person in Denver in January, I remember very clearly, you know, we were discussing, because part of it was like, you know, uh, I'm trying to, you know, pay my own bills a little bit while doing the startup thing which isn't necessarily making a ton of money right away and 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 David and I had a really you know very direct conversation around I think what it the the difference between an employee mindset and an owner mindset. Yeah. And so I and, and what what made it really fascinating for me was was two things. One, very early on we were able to have what felt like difficult or hard discussions that had some emotional charges to them but we were both able to be clear and heard and listen and those things right so we were able i for me personally in a relationship i like to know that we can have a hard conversation early on because then i know we can work through whatever else comes up right so but the other thing was really just about a shift in mindset it's like hey this is no longer something you're using to pay your bills this is no longer something you're trying to figure out how to get a nicer car out of this is This is a mechanism you can use to create like some really incredible things and build really incredible things. So instead of necessarily thinking about what am I getting or not getting out of the company, it's what can I do through the company? What can I build through the company? Do I have a new business idea? Well, let's do it through the company. We don't need to, you don't need to go do a side hustle or you don't need to be worrying about this. You can actually go all in here and figure out how to really grow this. And so I think that's something I, I appreciated very early on. And you know, I have a friend who has a podcast called Entrepreneurs, and it's all about people that are entrepreneurs within other companies. Yeah, Cause it's yeah. that same idea of like trying to shift. Don't be the person who's just checking in and checking out nine to five. And then you're working on some side project at, at the rest of the time, be the person who can go all in and it changes how you focus and how you build and and your entire mindset.
0: I I love that. And and listen, from the, you know, before I come to David, uh, you know, I can't tell you how many times I have conversations with friends of mine, you know, where entrepreneurs You know, clients. I mean, you know, I swim in this world, and you know, one of especially early on in their journey, their major frustration is that their employees don't think like entrepreneurs, and (laughs) you know, and for a lot of them, you know, and for a lot of them, the answer is, you know, like it's ridiculous of you to think they would, right? right. Like, right. you know, I mean, there's a reason why they're an employee. I don't say that in any kind of derogatory way. It's just, a, it's right. a different role, right? They don't own the company. They don't live and die with it. They're not going to ever have that level of commitment that you are, whatever. But so I think that at some extent with certain, you know, people, there's sort of an acceptance thing that has to happen with us uh, entrepreneurs to understand that, mm-hmm. you know, a great employee is different than a, than a co-owner and founder. But what's really even more fascinating is that, you know, and I want to hear from your point of view, David, is, you know, what what Matt said about is, is you know, that discussion that had that shift start happening between, oh, well, yeah, there's an employee mentality and then there's an owner or partner mentality. So, you know, talk 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 about that a little from your point of view. Wow.
1: There's a lot of ways I think that I talk about that and that I hear a lot of people talk about that as either employees or as the business owner. I think for Matt and I, what that really meant early on was treating Matt as a business owner, right as a, as a as a co-founder, as a partner, right and thinking about it that way where it was, hey, you need to see not just how we operate and make decisions, but you need to engage in those processes with me so that you can help me with that right away, right Not necessarily yeah. something that we would not every employee it depends kind of what level I guess you're inviting them in at but with an employee, you typically have a role that you want them to do. You want them to be good at that role. And I think in startups, it gets really tricky actually, because things can get exciting sometimes. And I hate to use the word, but employees can sometimes get dumped on. And founders in particular, just kind of have that mindset. They're really gritty. They're going to do what it takes basically. So they hope that their employees are the same way, I think you make a right, the right point, Corey, is like, careful what you hope for, right? <laughs> if you did hire an entrepreneur in your business, if they want to be treated that way, but you don't actually have a framework to do that with them, this can get really messy and not feel good. Really yeah. fast. On the opposite direction of that cool. with me and Matt, though, where you're saying, hey, you're coming in as a partner, you're coming in as an owner, right? They need to be thrown in with you into what the owners are actually dealing with into the thought process, engaging directly with those problems. I think that happened a lot during the pandemic is these owner and founder relationships were challenged head on, right? And the businesses that had owners that were willing to really engage and knew how to engage their team appropriately did pretty well for the most part and can hold their heads high. And those that struggled with that, I think that's a lot of what they struggled with is like, oh, turns out partners aren't equally engaged in things. Turns out somebody's really doing a lot more than somebody else and not willing to share in the responsibility or the outcome or is afraid to or things like that. So it's, I think those mechanisms where you get to know each other well, like Matt talked about us going to each other's cities, working together a lot, fighting over some things, right? Dealing with adversity. That's a good example of what it means to be on that playing field together as partners and dealing with, you know, let's face it, some of the shit that happens and you're dealing with it together. Also, you're getting excited about things together, exploring opportunities. But when you can do that with somebody else, especially if you're a founder that used to have a co-founder or you started off as a single founder, it feels good. It just does.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, for me, this is a fascinating conversation and we can, you know, delve delve even further into it, but there are a couple of other things I want to hit before we get to our end time here. You know, you mentioned something and you don't have to reveal anything, anything specific about your equity split or anything, but you, conceptually, David, you mentioned something about, you know, that, well, not every partnership should be 50-50. Maybe, you know, you got to look at, you know, what happens during success and who's going to be, you know, and, so I'd love you to talk a little bit more, again, without, you can relate it to your relationship, you know, with Matt, without specifics, but just like, how do you go through the process of of determining what's appropriate in terms of, because listen, this comes up for equity, for every, you know, set of co-founders, whether they find it, co-founded together or, you know, separate and different people bring different things to the table. And, there, and there's no, you know, people say, say to me, is there any, you know, like, is there some standard or rule of thumb? And the answer is there's not, right? If you really talk about it, there's not, there's, you know, so how do you make that determination in a partnership on how equity should be split, how decision-making should be handled? Because it's not just about equity, how, you know, how, you know, how comp, I mean, I often talk to clients about how, you know, comp and ownership doesn't, don't necessarily have to, you know, align either, right? You can, you have different levers you can use. So give us, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts uh, from, from each of you on, on that
1: conversation. Yeah, I'll start on this one because I think at least with QPilot, went through this a couple of times and I learned a lot from the first one being the breakup, which in hindsight, we were able to talk about it this way, which is, hey, when push comes to shove, who's going to keep sticking with the business, right? Who's going to keep this baby, in other words, right? Even if it's not going well, who's going to make the decision? Who's going to take this on? Right. So if you're just talking about two people, that can be pretty straightforward. But like you said, it's there's no clear cut way to put that to a number. So I think one thing that I learned was you can create an agreement early on that says, look, in terms of decision making, we can establish that somebody is like, you know, for intents and purposes, the CEO, they're going to be making operating decisions. Right. And that person should be right? In a decision-making position when it comes to this early stage of the business. And that needs to be reflective. It's an LLC in your member agreement, whatever these operating agreements are that you have. So that again, if things go well, it's not then up for debate what's going on. And certainly in hindsight, I had initially done like a 50-50 partnership. And that's where the flaws in that oversimplified thinking were pointed out. It's like, wow, look how hard this is for us to figure out what to do. Thankfully, we were able to but i remember speaking with some lawyers and other founders like this is why 50/50s can be so deadly if some kind of decision like this has to be made somebody's going to leave or somebody's going to reduce their stake right who's ultimately going to help make that decision move forward and implement it i think it's a little bit easier once you've got you know further all- along and you've got some revenue and things like that to talk about it more from just a monetary standpoint and think about you know what's fair given the sweat equity and the money, you know, think about it like an opportunity cost basically was is a really easy way to think about it like a founder. Had I been doing what I'd been doing, spending this much time at my former job or the job that I would have right now, what's that worth to me in the context of where this business is at now? Right. Because a lot of that risk, ideally, if you've been at it for a couple of years, right, has been reduced significantly. Right. right. So it becomes a lot more understandable and relatable for the person who's coming in. In terms of what offers are being made for percent ownership things like that in terms of saying yeah obviously you're not coming in for like you know the lion share of this company if it's coming in for things like sweat equity and you know part of your compensation things like that as a partner so certainly a lot easier the second time around just because it's a later part of the development of the the startup but i think initially is where it gets so it's so foggy Yeah. I mean, you don't even know what you're splitting up at that point, right? Yeah. You're just excited to do stuff and you're like, well, it should be 50-50, right? Like we're partnering. And who's really going to operate? Who's going to, you know, you can think about it this way. Who's going to have the calls with the lawyers when something happens that's really exciting or something bad, right? I know one of our advisors who is a lawyer says that a lot. Like who's, who's going to be on that? That can sometimes be an example of like, why should the decision-making power go in favor of this individual versus this other one
0: any thoughts matt from from your point of view i mean you know you came into oh yeah what was an existing business yeah. uh, you know at, at some history i don't know what stage it was at you know uh, but obviously you know you're you're looking at hey what am i worth versus you right. know what's existing and again you don't have to talk about specific numbers but just talk to me about that process
2: yeah well i think you know for anybody looking at taking on a partner as as someone who was taken on, I think it's important to understand what that what that person's motivations are and the reasons why they want to be involved. For for me, you know, the monetary upside wasn't necessarily like the prime motivator. Like I wasn't going into startup land because I was really looking for that quick exit and hitting that home run, right? Those opportunities are really hard to find, right? Like when you're just about to maybe make millions, like you're not going to give up that much equity, right? So, you know, there's an inverse relationship between the amount of risk you're taking on and, and, and the upside. Sure. But for me, I, I I really wanted to be a, a founder. I wanted to be an owner. I wanted to have that mentality. At my previous job, I found myself constantly questioning the decisions of the executive and ownership team. And I would get feedback like, well, you don't have all the information. And they were right. I didn't. Yeah. So how could yeah. I really how could I really know what I would do? And so part of it was part of the reason I wanted to lead to, to join Qpilot was it's kind of like a put up or shut up moment, right? Like find out how hard it really is. And and, and and what david david did some really great things i think to make it really appealing was is i felt like he offered me what was just a really generous amount of equity including some some kickers for some you know some things that we could hit but also he gave me he gave me an accelerated cliff so instead of you know he, he made it so that it was like hey you can very quickly become a full-fledged owner in this business and i would say even more than those things And and yes, we're hoping to, you know, like everybody, you know, make it rich or whatever and retire to Miami or wherever. (laughs) But, but, you know, but realistically for me has been in the, in the two years, two plus years we've worked together, David has never once not made me feel like I'm a partner. Hmm. You know, even though he has, he is the CEO, he has the majority stake. He, you know, he has all those things that he, and, and he's the one who's been doing it for so long. He's never once made me feel like I'm a, I'm a less partner or that I don't have a, an equal say in the business, which to me has made me working on it so much more rewarding because I feel like I I do really own it. And it's really something that's mine, even though, you know, you know, it's, it's kind of like I'm a stepdad. It already was born before I got to it, but I can take it and adopt it to be fully my own. So. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: well, love that's That's a, that's a great analogy. You yeah, know, great way to put it, right? This, yeah. this stuff that, yeah. Who can, who can love the, uh, you know, that child, the, you know, Sometimes more than the than the biological dad, right? Right, <laughs> you know? right, right. That's great. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting to me, and I love the way you guys talk about it because you know a lot of these. And listen, it, it, it's true with building a great culture for employees as well, right? You right. know, and 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 clearly to me, David, and I'm not, you know, I don't want to, you know, I'm not bring you on here to flatter you, but I, but but I really have to say. I mean, I love your approach and your outlook because, you know, I'm somebody, anybody who's listened to this podcast, knows me otherwise or whatever, knows that I'm somebody who's very, very interested in the eternal journey and our own personal growth. I've done a lot of that work myself, personal business growth. And I'm a big believer that our business success is, as as entrepreneurs, is is very tied to and, and potentially limited by the, the lack, you know, of our own personal growth. And you see that in people. And, you know, a lot of what, you know, what you've done here, you know, takes letting go of ego and letting go of, you know, self-importance and letting go of control and letting go of, you know, to, to various extents, these things. And that's not something that, you know, every entrepreneur can do, right? So, you know, I don't know if you have any thoughts about, you know, on, you know, on that journey, but I mean, listen, as a lawyer, you know, I often am talk, talking about, to my clients about sharing equity or having some sort of program or whatever. And I can't tell you how many examples I see where they lose key people, right? Because they're not willing to share the wealth or see them as, you know, as a co-founder, bring them into the ownership team, create a g- generation two, you know, that makes possible internal succession and also makes you more val- val- valuable to external, you know, the companies as well. And, you know, there's so many reasons to do it, but yet there are, you know, many founders, not entrepreneurs that, that don't do it, right? You know, and they just have a different outlook and things get in the way. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that
1: yeah I think a lot gets in the way. and that's that's kind of the idea of the journey of entrepreneurship or or really you know the the life process <laughs> yeah. is I heard a really smart therapist, I think his name's Phil Stotz. He said he's like the a key is is not so much about achieving the thing in terms of having a really fulfilling life. It's about learning to enjoy the process. and the process is in you know in our existence, it's full of challenges and hard times and things like that. And sometimes somehow, right, a lot of us lucky ones get to figure out like, I'm not saying I'm I'm like this on a day to day basis, right, but I can talk about it is learning to enjoy that dealing with adversity. And I think that's something that a lot of entrepreneurs love to talk to each other about because it's just it's all hard. But I think like you said, Corey, there's so much that's relatable between life and the journey of entrepreneurship and how those two things can actually be part of the same path, that that's what makes it really fun and enjoyable. And when you find other people to share it with, right, just like in your personal relationships, it's the same in business, right? I've, I've definitely found that to be true. Working as a specialist, as a consultant before, even when I was working with other people, it could certainly not feel as cool as sharing your vision, sharing your hard work with other people. You'll feel more supported, get a lot more ideas which is what I love so much but getting over that ego check can be really really hard especially if you start off as either a single founder or you become a single founder because you do get into a place pretty quickly where you do feel like it's up to me i need to make this happen and you start to lose fact of like i'm trying to build a company that makes this whole vision happen which is a lot more exciting and a lot easier to deal with the challenges day in and day out when that's when that's the goal so Trying to put, you know, the next thing in front of you to take care of, you know, day day and day out, doing it on your own. I think having the desire to do that with other people, if you're a newer entrepreneur, is something to explore if they haven't. And then you'll run into those challenges of sort of the ego check, which can be, yeah. you know, like, like I said, that's not just something that you do once and then you're done with it. This happens all the time right? Especially if things are going on, you're making decisions, maybe you're good at checking your ego about things like, well, this type of operations, I really don't have strong opinions on, but oh my gosh, like you're talking about this new initiative for marketing or something. And I don't want, I don't like the brand working that way or whatever it is, right? Where your ego starts bubbling up to kind of ground yourself in that remembering like, Hey, one, what are we here to do? And remind myself like, Hey, you know, Matt and I together, what, what, why is it that we are working on this? And sometimes if you have a hard time answering that question, that's the work you got to go do. Yeah. Right. Hey, we, we don't understand our why that means you're, you know, whether that's in life or in business, that is the more, more important question at that time. And sometimes, and I think this came up a lot during the pandemic, you don't feel good. And that's, what's keeping you from getting more into that important work of figuring out the motivation. Why am I doing this? I need to reevaluate Sometimes it's just that I got to go, you know, work on my health a bit, get my energy level back up so I can be in a place to answer that question or try to answer that question. So however it is that you get there, it's important to get there. And if you can't answer the why, right, why am I doing this? That's when you got to pause and get yourself to a place where you can, because that's what's ultimately going to keep you enjoying the process going day to day. And it's what's ultimately going to help you check that ego so that other people can do it with you.
0: I, I love that answer. You mentioned the quote by the, the therapist Stutz. Is that we just we just saw a documentary on Jonah Hill's That's therapist? The Is that the guy you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, that was. Hey, listen, little, little little off-topic shout out. I thought that documentary was great on Stutz, and you know, and Jonah Hill just did a really you know phenomenal thing. And you know, he he draws out the he draws out these little note cards for people and whatever. It was you know, yeah, it was very cool. So, quick recommendation for that. Um, any, I, we got to wrap this up, guys, because I feel like I could talk to you forever. There's such great insights <laughs> and modeling. And I, you know, for the listeners, I mean, just really, you, know, you should listen to this one a, a few times because the the wisdom on, you know, on partnerships. And by the way, the statistics are that, that companies with co-founders, like the success level of companies with co-founders is significantly higher, okay, than the success level of solo founders. And in fact, there are many, you know, a VC and private equity, you know, folks who whatever who you know, we'll, will we'll, you know, let's say at least have a strong preference for co-founded companies over, over, over single founded companies. So, you know, this is important, important stuff, you know, whether you're going to be funded or not. Matt, do you have any, any last thoughts you want to throw in here before
2: I ask my final two questions? I, I just say for me, I, I think that the, it's really important. I, I love understanding other people's motivations, right? And so I think the, the biggest thing, you know, you mentioned this is as, as owners, I think it's important to start with, we don't have the same motivations as e- either our partners or as our employees. But when we can look, seek to understand the motivations of other people, we can understand whether there's still good alignment and ways we can work together, you know? So, so that's one of the things I love about working with David is we understand each other and what we're trying to do and and, and why. And, and that's how you keep good employees and good partners is you understand those things and you, and you seek to motivate and reward so that you can keep things going. I think it's really, that's the smartest way to operate. Love that. Love that. Well, folks, listen,
0: you know, we, we spent just a little time on their on their business and the and, <laughs> and scaling subscription businesses. But I'll tell you, I mean, for me, you know, I think most of us do. I certainly like to do business with folks who are genuine and who are growing and who think about these kind of things or whatever. And for me, you know, this this interview actually probably sheds more light. You know, if I was somebody who was looking to scale a subscription business, I think this interview and learning about and getting to know David and Matt, the way we have through the conversation of their partnership would move me to want to work with them more than any sales pitch they could do, you know, on their company. So if people want to find out more about the company, about, and, you know, how they work with you and that kind
2: of stuff, where do they go? Oh, well, they got to go to qpilot.com first, connect with us both on LinkedIn, Matthew Holman and David Bradley. And, you know, we actually have a big content arm called Subscription Prescription. So anybody who's seeking just education around how to build a great program should check us out with that too. Love it.
0: So definitely check them out, folks. My final question on the podcast is about my highest value in life, which is freedom. And for me, that means everything from freedom from all people in the world, from oppression to why I haven't had a boss in decades. What does freedom mean to each of you and how does it impact your life and business?
2: I have to let
1: Matt answer that first.
2: Yeah. I mean, for me, it's it's funny, Corey. I actually have been thinking about starting a podcast on that exact question: "Is what does freedom mean to you?" So wow. you know, it's kind of interesting that you asked
1: me that. Well, you, uh, you,
0: if you if you want to sit through the last, you can just skip to the last question on 210 I'm of my podcast, and you'll you'll, you'll hear 210
1: you answers. You just you just
2: helped that. out my research a lot right there, actually, because <laughs> I've been starting some of that. For me, I think freedom is is really understanding who you are and what you care about, and and the ability to go after those things in a way that respects other people. So, So, you know, I, you know, whether you're religious or not, or spiritual or not, whether you just want to watch baseball or play video games in your mom's basement, like, you know, learn to be who you are, what makes you happy. And, you know, I think that we can all do that in a way that respects other people. And so for me, that's what freedom is.
1: David. Yeah. I mean, just on my limited experience, what I, what I say freedom means to me is the freedom to take risks and then deal with whatever happens. It is extremely liberating to be in that mindset. And I'm proud to feel that way, at least sometimes.
0: <laughs> I love that. David Bradley and Matt Holman, thank you for being such a, not only amazing guests on the Deal Quest podcast, but also just just generous and open and authentic on a topic, you know, on, on your personal journeys and also on a topic that I think will provide so much value to our listeners and viewers. So thank you very, very much. Thank you, Corey. Thank you for joining me on this episode of DealQuest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the DealQuest community. Join the DealQuest Deal Den Zoom calls, a free monthly 90-minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal-driven growth. You will get input not only from me, but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, go to wwwcorycupfercom slash dealden. That's coreycupfer.com slash dealden. I'll see you there. I'm Corey Cupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest
2: will bring.